Thank you, Chase. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. What a privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord, to gather with the angels of God, declaring his holiness. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the God Almighty who dwells in light. He is the God from whom all good and perfect gifts come. And he is among us. This is a promise that he has made that he will never leave us or forsake us. He has promised that as we gather in his name, that he is with us. He's told us that as we draw near to him, that he draws near to us. In our worship, we draw near to him. And so, friends, on the authority of his word, I can tell you, he is here today, and he's near us, and that is good, and that is beautiful. And he's come with a word for us, a light for our path, that we could walk in his will and his way in this his good earth. So to that end, I invite you to hear the word of the Lord from Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is it not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Be strong and work. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth and sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and there shall come to the desire of all nations and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Let us pray. Our good and our holy God, we thank you that you are a God that makes and keeps promises. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God that elects to work with people like us, men and women with feet of clay. Lord, you, you stir our hearts and you fill our lives with your very presence and you call us to join you in your work in this world. And for this, Lord, we are both baffled and grateful. And we pray today as we meet on this corner in this city one more time that you'll stir our hearts one more time, that you'll revive our spirits, that you'll strengthen our frame, that our work in this world would be like your own. 
So Lord, we come to you today as your servants and we pray to you saying, speak, Lord. Speak because your servants are listening. We pray in the beautiful and the mighty name of Jesus and we say together, amen and amen. Friends, please be seated. Be strong, work, do not fear, for I am with you. Uh, be strong, work, do not fear, for I am with you. This was the word of God for the people of God delivered by Haggai the prophet. Be strong, do the work, do not fear, for I am with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. This is our third uh, time to be together in the book of Haggai. In the first week, we heard God's prophet call the people to consider their ways. Now, that's a probing question, isn't it? Uh, that's, a, that's a great little command, and it's one that God would bring before us again and again and again. Consider your ways. Truly, the unexamined life is not worth living, and, and we all need to come before the Lord saying, Search me, O Lord. Search my life. We all need to consider our ways. Last week as we gathered, we heard this great promise from God that I will be with you. And today that one sort of fleshed out. And in addition to that great strong word of promise, there are these three terse little challenges, little commands. Be strong. Work. Do not fear. You see, the problem is that the people of God had, had started their work again, and they, they, they got off of center, and they got back to it, and, and the work was done to the point where they could see what it was going to be like. And those who had been there before, the old-timers who, when they were children, perhaps young teenagers, had seen Solomon's temple in its glory, they're seeing this new building that's come up out of the dust and in their hearts, they're thinking, oh my, it's not like it used to be. Haggai says, hey, uh, those of you who remember the old temple, are you not saying in your heart, it's nothing in our eyes? If you go back to the book of Ezra, chapter 3, 11 to 13, you have this scene as the, as the foundations are set and they're celebrating the, the reinstitution of worship. And those, those young that are there, they're shouting and they're screaming and they're, and they're celebrating with joy. And the, and, and the drums are thundering and the fiddles are fiddling and, and it's going and they're, they're, they're shouting. But those that remembered the old temple, they wept deep tears because this wasn't what used to be. And this theme is picked up on in chapter 2 of, of Haggai. And he says, hey, are you saying in your heart of hearts, this is nothing. This is a small thing compared to what once was. You see, in that community of faith, there was this saccharine sentimentality that was coming into the community that was that was serving as a toxin. Instead of passionately celebrating what God was doing, there was, this, there was this sense of loss, even as they were experiencing great gain. To quote the great American philosopher Billy Joel, you can linger too long in your dreams, 
Say goodbye to the oldies but goodies. Because the good old days weren't always good. And tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems. See, there was an element in the community of faith. They were lingering along in their dreams of what once was. Forgetting that that temple was no longer because they had been disciplined by the Lord and sent into exile. They wore a new identity, the exiles, but they just remembered the glory of the former temple. And Haggai shows up with another word from God, and it, it could be like this. Don't linger in those dreams because there is a good future that God has prepared for you. It's no time to pout. It's no time to live in that, in that saccharine sentimentality that says it'll never be like it was. He says, I know what you're saying in your heart of hearts. And this is God speaking, not Haggai. I know what you're saying. You're saying this is like nothing. He said, so here's the word. Be strong. Work. Do not fear. For I am with you. I imagine from time to time we all need to hear this. We need to hear it as individual followers of Jesus. We need to hear it as a church. Be strong. Work. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Let's look at those in turn. First, this little command. Be strong. The NRSV renders it, take courage. I like that. Take courage. Recently, I was part of a panel discussion at Baylor, uh, and the, the whole notion was leading in an age of discord. I don't know if you know it, but there's a lot of people not happy with other people right now. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I know this may come as a shock to many of you, uh, but on this panel uh, were some interesting people. There was a vice president from Reebok. There was a scholar from Fuller Seminary. Her name was uh, Michaela O'Donnell, and it was her job to put together this panel. And, and the, sort of the spine of our panel discussion was work that they had done at Fuller, uh, researching people who had been successful leaders in times of, of discord and crisis. Great qualitative research. Uh, and, and so there's three basic things that, that describe these leaders across different, different uh, areas. One, and they're all Christians, one is there's this deep sense of, of vocation and following Instead of thinking of themselves as leaders, they thought of themselves primarily as followers, people that understood God's will and way in this earth and followed behind him as a sheep would follow a shepherd. This morning we sang, Be Thou My Vision. This is the essence of godly leadership, that our vision is a fix given, given to us by Christ Jesus our Lord, that his sheep know his voice and follow him. The second one is they were characterized as people of love. They really did love people. And they wanted to lead people. They didn't want people to lead. They wanted to lead people because they loved them. And the final one was courage. You know, when I looked at the research, I was reminded that Charles Spurgeon said the same thing to his students in the 19th century. He looked at those emerging pastors and he said, to be a successful pastor, one must have the mind of a scholar. That was his poetic way of saying you must understand the will and the way of God. You must be a wise person. The heart of a child. 
That was his way of saying you must be a person of love. And the hide of a rhinoceros. That was his way of saying you need to be tough and persistent and tenacious in this earth. Tenacity in the face of challenge is a mark of the follower of God. It is now and it has always been. And Haggai was calling the people to a toughness, to a tenacity, to get up and go, to grab the Kleenex, let them do their job, and then get trucking. I love that, that little line from Proverbs 24, 16. The righteous may fall seven times and still get up. Courage is not the ability never to fall. It's the deep-seated call to get up again and get up again and get up again. God's people in Haggai's day had experienced internal stress, external challenges, roadblocks, setbacks, burdens from beyond, all manner of things. And when the word of God showed up, the word of God came speaking, take courage, be strong. Then the prophet said, verse 4, work. Work, get to work. This is what they were here for. They'd been sent by God through his, through his sovereign grace. To build up this temple. They had work to do. They had gone from being known as exiles. I mean, there are times in the scripture where this people as a group are just called the exiles. This is their team name. This is what's on the front of their jersey for a long, long time. And then God brought this remnant back. And they exchanged the jersey that said exiles, and you would expect them to put on the jersey that said workers. And they put that jersey on for a little while, and then they got tired of playing for the workers, and they took it off, and they put on a new jersey, and it said settlers. And this was the heart of the message last week, that they, 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 they took care of their own little dwellings when the dwelling of the Lord's presence was left unattended to. And here's the prophet saying to him again, it's time to put your rightful jersey on. You have been drafted. You have been drafted. There's no transfer portal out. There's no NIL deal for you to go and play for the settlers. You got a lifelong contract with God. And you're, you're a worker. That's who you are. Don't settle for being a settler. You're part of the sacred work of God. So be courageous and get to work. I think this is a good word for all of us. It's a message we need to preach to the man or the woman in the mirror. It's the message we need to encourage each other with is that God has called us to sacred duty in this earth. We're not settlers. And by his grace, we're no longer exiles. We have been brought back into a relationship with God through Christ and in this new relationship, we join him in his work. Isn't that amazing? 
So he said, be strong. And he said, get to work. In the first church, Marathon, I served, Wanilla Baptist Church. I was in seminary down in New Orleans, a little church full of farmers, offshore oil workers. There were some characters in that church that will be with me for the rest of my life. They shaped me as, as, as profoundly as any seminary or college has shaped me, me for ministry. They were just a gift from God in my life. And, and one of those people in my life that touched me so deeply was a guy named Bud Newsom. We just all called him Mr. Bud. And I'll never forget Mr. Bud's Wednesday night prayers. And I'll never forget when we asked Mr. Bud to lead the singing. Our normal song leader was named Sally Cody. She could read all the music and she knew how to do her hands right. Mr. Bud could just sing out and count to four. Uh, so when Sally was gone, that was good enough. But his prayers every Wednesday night, he would pray. As we were doing prayer requests, he would, he would pray. He would pray for the lost, the providentially hindered, and the unconcerned. Now let me define these categories for you. The lost were those for whom Christ had died, people created in the image of God who did not know his, his precious Savior. Some of those people were in his family. And he loved him, and he knew God loved him, and he wanted those people to love God back and know the name of Christ. And he knew lost things were precious to Jesus. Every time he told a story about something being lost, that lost thing was precious. And so he made sure week after week on Wednesdays we were praying for lost people. He have us pray for the providentially hindered. Now, those were the people who had been part of the church and faithful and church workers and part of the fellowship, and they were shoulder to shoulder with us for years and years and years, whose circumstances and situations in life made it uh, where they could not be active within the gathered community any longer. For some of those, it was a chronic sort of hindrance. that They had come to the place where their health wouldn't allow them to get out and come any longer. For some, it was just seasonal. You know, in farming, your ox gets in the ditch, just like in the Old Testament. We all gave those people a pass because they were providentially hindered after all. He loved those people, and we prayed for them. And the third category were the unconcerned. Now, Mr. Bud understood these people to be people who had named the name of Christ who had membership in our church, who were hard to find and didn't seem to care. He didn't pray with any malice in his heart. He loved those people. He just knew you had to pray in a different way. You had to relate in a different way because these brothers and sisters had gone from wearing the shirt that said workers to wearing the shirt that said settlers. So we prayed every week for him. And then when he was asked to fill in to lead the singing, he always wanted to sing the same song. And it wasn't in the hymnal, so he'd bring it on Xerox sheets, just pass it out before that we had supplemental literature that morning whenever Bud led the singing. 1837 song, We'll Work Till Jesus Comes. And he had this Appalachian kind of twang to it. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. Then we'll be gathered home. Not great poetry, but it'll preach. And that should be the prayer in our heart and a song on our tongues. That we'll be strong and we'll work. And then the word of God said, 
Verse 5. Do not fear. It's often noted in sermons at a time like this that this is the most repeated command in all of the Bible. Google it. I did this morning because I knew you would. It's true. Now, that's, that's a little tricky here because, I mean, it's, it's one thing to say don't be afraid or to command someone not to be. It's another not to be afraid. It's kind of like when your kids are really worked up about something. They're very anxious about something. They're like seven, eight years old. And you come in there and you've done this as a, as a frustrated parent. You've done this as a frustrated son. Like, calm down! Has it ever worked once in the history of the world? It's like pouring gas on a fire. So, like, God, is this what you're doing to us? Are you telling us not to be afraid? It would be that if it wasn't accompanied with what such a beautiful promise. He said, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not fear, my spirit remains among you. Do not be afraid. And in this promise, we have three things. There, there's the direct promise of his presence. Isn't it good to know that God is near us? He's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to his people. He's promised never to leave us. He is not far away. He's not singing from a distance. He's not looking at how pretty the greens and blues are. God is close near us, right down here in the dust and the dirt, the mud and the blood. There is the promise of his presence. There's the promise of his provision. He says, the silver and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. That's both material and spiritual. He says, I can take care of this situation. I can take care of this promise. You think you're piddly based on what you used to be, he says, but you're mine and all of it's mine. There's the promise of his provision. Hudson Taylor used to say, the Lord's work done the Lord's way will never lack God's supply. I just wish he'd give it to us all up front at the beginning of the year. He said, the silver's mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. I love how Eugene Peterson renders the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies. It means God has everything we need, all the things that we can see and touch and taste and hear, and all the things we can't see that are as real as our breath, God is sovereign over all of that. And we don't have to be afraid because God is the great provider and he is the one with the supply. So there is his presence, there is his provision, and there is his great purpose. He said the glory of this smaller temple, this second one, will exceed the glory of the former one. The desire of nations will be here. And here God will make peace. In that moment, those people had no clue what he was talking about. Zero, zip, diddly, not a clue. And when Haggai got through with them, you know how much clearer they were? Zero, diddly, not a clue. Here's just God saying, trust me, I've got something good in the future Oh, they had notions about what it might be, but they, they had no concept of what was going to happen. 
when a haggard carpenter named Joseph and a teenage mother named Mary brought a little baby named Jesus into the steps. Maybe the court of the women, maybe the court of the Gentiles. Mary's present. It's not deep in that temple. But into this second temple, they bring Jesus in their arms. And the prophets come out, those who'd been praying for the desire of the nations, those who'd been praying for God's glory to rattle and shake the world, those who'd been praying for righteousness and peace and joy in the Spirit of God. Those prophets came forward and they looked at that poor family and they said, here is the salvation of Israel. Listen to the words of, of Hannah, Luke chapter 2. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and she had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming in an instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him all those who looked for the redemption of Israel. Here is the prophetess of God pointing to Jesus and saying, here is the rattle and thunder, the glory of the Lord. This is where God will make peace. And when the sky turned black, and the thunder rolled, and the earth shook, the veil in that temple was torn asunder. That God would make peace with humanity. Oh, the glory that they never saw. That they never saw. That they labored. That they labored for. Here's the deal about God and about life and about work. We can spend our whole time looking back saying, you know what? And it's, it's better back in those days. Because you could see the good things. They're clear to you. And because life gives you an amnesia, you could forget the bad things. But here's how you have to live by faith. You have to live on the promise that God has called you to a labor for his glory and for the blessing of others that you may never see this side of eternity. And a worker in God's kingdom is pleased to live with that and let the results fall to God who by way is the Lord of hosts, the owner of all the silver and all of the gold. Listen, if he says it's going to be all right, you can write it down. It's going to be all right. And he's called you to labor for his glory. And that's enough. Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, we thank you for a chance to gather in this house. We thank you that you've called us to life and to labor and to, to you.
Lord, as we, as we consider this truth that's before us today, Lord, help us to identify where we are related to, to our identity. Or, or uh, say, to, say to ourselves, am I an exile? God, am I far from you? Perhaps today, Lord, someone says that and they, they don't have a daily walk. They don't have a relationship with you. They don't have the assurance of life with you. Lord, I pray that you would call those precious people to you. And today would mark a new day in their journey, a new day in their lives, that they would come home to their heart's true home, which is you. For Lord, the many of us in this room that are, that are settling, pray that you would stir our hearts again to work for your glory, for the good of others, and for our blessing. For this is our prayer in the mighty name of Christ. We say together, amen. Friends, I invite you to stand. If you have decisions that you have made in the privacy of your heart that you believe God would have you make publicly today, we invite you to come forward and pray uh, as we sing together. All of us have business to, to do with the Lord today. Uh, so we ask you to let the Lord do that work in your hearts as we sing this great hymn of faith together. Andy. <laughs>